We live in a busy and frantic world filled with stress, anxiety, and the pressure to perform. But all our effort has really reaped is burnout, shallow relationships, and a disconnection from God. So for the next several weeks, we are going to embark on a journey of spiritual formation where we will bring together aspects of faith and discipleship that are often separated and segmented from each other. I believe that God wants to transform us, especially in those areas that lay beneath the surface. On the surface, things look great. Life looks impressive. It's all good. But we build walls around ourselves, only letting people see what we want them to see. And all too often, we spend very little time looking beneath the surface. But when we bring our anxiety, our past, our feelings, and our reactions into the light, what we're going to find is the abundant grace of God. So the purpose of the deeply formed life in Christ is to share it with others. But without living in communion with God, we are incapable of doing anything fruitful. We're going to explore these values with one great objective, to have Jesus deeply form our lives into his image. Hey, how are you guys doing today? Good to see you. It's so great to be with you, and I'm so glad that you are with us. This is week four of five, and I just want to say, just as your pastor, I'm really proud of, of, of us, of you. We've been doing some heavy lifting. This book, these topics are not easy, and uh, I think last week we got a sense of kind of how starving our soul is to, for us to deal with it, and so um, I, I'm just so glad, and, and again, as I, we've been saying every week, um, the goal is not for us just to have an experience here on the weekend um, or online, but it's to be uh, a catalyst for us to spend time with God and for him to do some deep work. The, the book is called Deeply Formed Life, and so we're looking at how can we form our spirituality, and, uh, and so I want to pick up right where we left off last week because it was the, uh, the perfect segue. Last week, I made an important um, dis, uh, 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 discovery, or I made an important statement. I said that we were ultimately created for a connection. The ultimate purpose of why we exist is to be connected to one another, to the world God put us in, and uh, to God as well. And so um, we're going to talk about that. But before we do, this one's another kind of heavy hitter. I just want to remind you, it's, uh, I say this often, uh, in our church, we do have an important rule that there's no perfect people allowed. Um, so if you're perfect, you're going to have to turn your laptop off. You're going to have to go. Um, uh, but if you're, if you're not perfect, you're in really great company. And we're all just trying to become more of who God made us to be and experience the life he created us to live. Amen? Amen. So, so we're going to talk about this, this idea of connection. And what you're going to get this week is a blueprint of your design that may bring a lot of clarity uh, as challenging as it may be. And so um, you may or may not be aware of it, but both your body and the soul that's inside of you have longings and are looking to constantly make connections and be connected with things outside of ourselves. It's why loneliness is such a desperate thing. It's a, it's a dire thing. Why? Because it's our desire to be connected uh, both to the God that created us, the world around us, and the people in our life. And so we have words for this desire, and we're going to talk about this weekend, for the, the, when our body desires to connect with people outside of us, as well as when our soul desires to connect with something outside of us. And those words are spirituality and sexuality. Spirituality is our soul's longing to connect with an eternal other, something greater than us. Sexuality at its core, not the way we know it in our culture, but at its core is our longing to desire and our desire to connect with people outside of ourselves. And it doesn't always actually have to be physical. Um, and so we have to understand from the beginning how God created us is that our bodies and our souls are intricately woven and put together. 
This matters because a uh, tale as old as time, especially in the culture that we live in, um, both within the church and outside of the church, we try often to divide soul from body. We treat them as separate. Uh, our spirituality is not connected to our sexuality. Our physical world is different than our spiritual world. We compartmentalize. And as much as we may try that, it's not ever really going to work out for us. And so mo- most people take one of two approaches to the, this spirituality and sexuality, more of an angelic approach, which is I'm just all spirit, but I'm just going to suppress my flesh, or I'm all animalistic, I'm just all flesh, and I'm going to ignore the spirit. But um, unfortunately, we're, or not, unfortunately, that won't work because we're humans made in God's image, which means we're a spirit and we're also flesh. And so we have to live in this world where those two things um, are connected. And, and, and so we're going to talk about sexuality and sex, sexual wholeness because a major part of our spirituality is connected to and affected by our sexuality. And so we're going to give new, better biblical definitions to some terms that I think we have very much reduced in our culture. And I can just feel how excited you all are about it right now. If you're online, like you should just speak. They are like on the edge of their seats, as I'm sure you are. Um, and so the, the session of the book and the topic that we're talking about is, is, uh, is sexual wholeness. The goal of this is for us to get an understanding of the blueprint that God is calling us to something so much deeper, better, and more satisfying. And so we're going to journey and we're going to give some good clarity. We're going to give some scripture. Um, but we have, to have this, we have to wrestle with this idea of sexuality and spirituality because they're actually very, very similar and, and they have so many similarities that may help you better understand yourself. But on the topic of sex, we have two kind of different approaches. We have historically, maybe not now or maybe not our church, but historically, the religious or the church culture has kind of vilified sex. It's, it's dirty, it's taboo, we don't talk about it. Uh, I grew up in a Christian home and I know my parents, it happened twice because I have a brother or whatever the case may be, like that's, that's it. Um, Uh, Or we have, so you have that on the kind of the the historical church culture. Then you have pop culture, which just elevates the body. And it's like, just do whatever feels good, like have it. Um, In fact, our culture treats sex as if it is the key to healing spiritual brokenness and physical brokenness. Like the way you heal it is just with your sexuality. And um, and unfortunately, um, it doesn't really work. And, And sex will just help your soul's emptiness. Here's the really good news and why we come do this every weekend. Because the way of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, corrects both of these understandings leads us to wholeness in our body and leads us to wholeness in our, our soul, which actually, again, are completely intricately intertwined. And so um, we, as we talk about spirituality and sexuality, I want to make sure that we're all, we're all thinking about the same things because right now we're not. Um, and so I'm going to give you some definitions from the book that came from professionals, and we're going to make it really, really simple. But essentially, spirituality and sexuality are almost the same thing in that it is our, our desire to connect with something outside of us spirituality is our longing to connect with an eternal being that is God. Sexuality at its core is our desire to connect with something outside of us physically or in a relationship. And so again, definitions, terms, spirituality is the longing, uh, essentially is the longing to know fully and be known fully by God on every level. Are, Are we good with this? Okay. That's all right. We'll keep going. I got a few of you with me. That's spirituality. Sexuality, then, is the longing to know fully and be known fully by other people on every level. Now, again, unfortunately, I'm just going to say this. Our culture has completely reduced and hijacked the idea of sex, sexuality. And so we're not going to go there. We're going to look at what is, how did God create it? What does the Bible say? What is, more importantly, what does the Bible mean? But I have an even simpler kind of understanding of spirituality and sexuality because they're intertwined is simply this. Spirituality is the energy that pulls us towards God. 
And sexuality is the energy that pulls us towards one another. And God made you that way on purpose. He, he, thank you, one person. He made you that way on purpose. And so, but here's what I know in the church, especially when we talk about sex and sexuality, it's awkward, it's weird, um, it can be uncomfortable. I think most of us would probably agree we have not been mentored well in this way. And so here's the problem, and this is why we have to talk about this. I love how he talks about it in the book, because often our inform any information we have or any viewpoint we have about sex or sexuality has completely been outsourced. Not to church, not to Bible, not to the home, but to schools, right? To friends, secret movies, videos, and online interaction. And where are the two places that are the safest place to learn about the most important things? The word of God and in the home, right? But where are the two places we're not learning about sexual wholeness? The word of God and the home. And so we're outsourcing it to the most jacked up parts of our society. Can we maybe a few of you agree on that? Okay, so, and here's why we gotta talk about it. Because when we talk about this, what complicates it is many of us, we carry a lot of shame in this area, a lot of shame. Um, there are people that you have done, that, that some of you have been sinned against you have, by no choice of your own, that somebody has violated you and your sexuality and your purity. Others of us have done things that we're ashamed of. We're even wrapped up in addictive behaviors that we're embarrassed to even talk about. And so while we, that may be true, what is the goal? The goal is not for us to feel bad about where we are or talk about how messed up everything is. The goal is what God is calling us to, which is the goal is a life of sexual wholeness. And you can experience it single, dating, <laughs> married, engaged, Divorce, like you can experience all of it. And so that's what we're going to talk about. So again, when we talk about sexual wholeness, I'm gonna give you kind of a heady, wordy, we're, being, we're gonna have to be a real mature audience today. I'm just gonna give you a heads up. Nothing's gonna be inappropriate for kids, but we're gonna have to be mature. And so when we talk about sexual wholeness, this is what we mean when God is drawing us to. It's the integration of spirituality and sexuality. Watch this, this is so good. That results in deep, satisfying relationships with others, this is the best part right here, that actually roots out shame, cultivates vulnerability, and leads to healthy bonding, both with God and the world around us. Now, some of you are like, oh my gosh, where are we gonna go? I'm so excited for us to go on this journey because I really believe this will be unlearning, learning, and, and liberating for some of us. So, before we dive in, here's the good news. No matter how dark, no matter how messed up, no matter how bad your sexual history is, your spiritual history, no matter what you've dabbled in, we can all grow and experience sexual wholeness if we allow God into this area of our life. He will make it right. And so that's the really, really good news. And so let's go to the word. Somebody say there and then. The best part about this is this is literally the beginning of the story of God and humanity on the first page of the greatest, Bible, the greatest book ever written in the Bible. And it's the beginning of God and humanity. We see it on the first two pages. We understand that God created Adam and Eve for what? To be completely intimate with each other and completely intimate with him, right? Um, their, their relationship with intimacy, bonds of connection. And when God created it in and of itself, it was only good and it was perfect, right? We understand that. And so when God gave us a, this original couple, you have to understand Genesis is not literal. I'm going to help some of you. Genesis is not written literally. Um, it's pictures. It's metaphors. It's a, it's a vision. And there's so much depth to the way they wrote in that Hebrew culture. There was pictures, metaphors, understandings, connections. It was way more than just literal, which is why we, I think, in our culture have a little bit of a hard time. But when, when God showed us Adam and Eve, he's actually casting a vision and painting a picture for his intention for all of humanity. And there's really two words that... He, show how God intended us to live. And this is when the, there was no evil, there was no bad, there was no sin, it was all perfect, this was it. And so we see 
the interaction. God's created the whole earth. He's found no suitable helper. And then, and then God does this awesome thing in Genesis chapter 2. Verse 21, it says this. So the Lord God caused the man to fall deep asleep. That probably wasn't hard. We always want to take naps. Um, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. The Lord then made woman out from the rib, took it out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Okay? He's, the man said, wow, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, different than all the other animals I just named. So she will be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Verse 24, this is why a man will leave his father and his mother and be united with his wife, and they will become one flesh. That term, one flesh, means so much more than just your honeymoon night. It's one in every aspect. And then verse 25 are these two words or these two phrases that is God's intention for us to live amongst each other. And Adam and his wife were both naked, and yet they were not ashamed. The ESV says it this way. They were naked and not ashamed. Those words, that is the ultimate goal. That was the perfect creation that we were to live naked and not ashamed. And now here's where you're going to have to go with me and be a little mature on this. That word naked in the Hebrew, I'm going to show you in a minute, does not just mean not clothed. We're not talking about a nude beach here. We're talking about this idea of fully exposed, fully vulnerable. There's nothing you don't know about me, yet I have no fear of comparison, body shaming, retribution. I'm fully exposed, yet fully, I'm fully loved, and there's no worry about rejection or anything like that. When God painted a picture of how we were to connect with each other is that we can be fully ourselves and know that we are fully loved, and we will. there's literally no fear in that. Are you with me? Maybe a better way is exposed, yet not no fear. And so this was how God created it. And so again, that word naked, just for some de definition in that Hebrew, it, it's not actually the word nudity. It's, you don't need to know the, the background, but it's the word aram, which actually means to be exposed or to be, to be laid barren. And again, not exposed like we know that people find out on the internet that's dirty. It's the, none of this is dirty. And so God's, God's creation was like, I want to be fully known and I want, and I want you to know me fully and be fully known and with each other with no fear of anything that could get in the way of that, right? And so they were to be deeply connected. This was the picture. And by the way, this not that naked and not ashamed, that's not just for married couples. It's for friendships. It's for kids. It's that we can have different types and different levels of relationships where we are fully exposed, that we are fully ourselves, and yet we don't have to be ashamed of who I am, how God made me, or all of these other things. The problem is some of you are already not with me because everything I said is so radical from what we experienced. Like that just sounds like a fairy tale. Well, it really happened, and it does sound that way because that shows how far that we've fallen. Are we, are we understanding this? And so, naked and not ashamed is a human thing. It's free from all of the stuff that I just said. And so, in the beginning, perfect, fundamental unity with God, fundamental unity with each other, and there's nothing to hide and nothing to be ashamed of. Because as I mentioned last week, shame communicates to me that there's a connection broken and I'm not worthy of connection, right? Okay, so it's perfect, it's awesome, that would have been amazing, right? But what happens in the next part of the story, the next page? Something happens and changes the world forever. What did Adam and Eve do? They rebelled. The word the Bible uses is sin. And, and the best definition I can give you of sin is they stopped trusting that God's way was the best. And they thought they had a better way. Actually, I think this looks better. God said you can have the whole world, just don't eat from one tree. And does anybody remember the name of that tree? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Up to that point, it was always only good. And he said, I don't want you to eat from this because I know evil and I've conquered evil, but you can't handle evil. But if you eat of it, you're going to know both. And here's what I love about the creation of God. We're going to talk actually more about this in a few weeks is there are a lot of things that, hap that, that, that were a part of the potential created order we were never meant to know. There's pain, shame, hurt, rejection, darkness, and evil that we were never meant to know. 
But God knew if we went outside of his order, stopped trusting him, that the inevitability is you're going to, and you're going to know a darkness and an evil and a pain that you were never intended to know. And that is what started in the garden. And so we know that um, they, they made a decision and sin entered the world. And when sin, when we miss it, when we stop trusting God, sin always takes two forms immediately. I bet you can't find, I, I, I bet you'll find this almost in every time there's brokenness. Here's what happens. When sin happens, when we miss the mark, when we go outside of God's way, when we, we do something, it always takes these two forms, shame and blame, right? Shame is first. Ah, disconnect, hide, run, hide, cover. What happened? This couldn't be my fault. I'm awesome. You did this to me right? Shame and blame. Shame and blame is the repercussion of not trusting God. And shame comes first. Watch this. Remember Genesis 2? Naked and not ashamed. Not even a page later, Genesis 3. It says this, when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good and pleasing to the eye and gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Not only did she ate it, she shared it with the man and gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Watch this. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They had been fully exposed and not worried about anything. And the minute they went outside of God's design, all of a sudden they're like, hey, something's wrong. They hid from each other. They hid behind a tree. They hid from God. And, and, and I love how uh, uh, Pastor Rich mentions in his book on this topic in page 135, he says, and from this point on, and here's why we have to talk about this. The human experience is marked more by using each other than communion. Come on, somebody more by a destructive separation of the body and the soul than a body-soul unity, more by a paralyzing preoccupation with our bodies than a holy unawareness. There were a lot of things we were never meant to experience and know, and now we do, and here we are. And so we have a problem. We were created for naked and not ashamed. We were created for sexual wholeness, but we live in a world that's marred and marked by sexual complete brokenness, and it has caused us to have a lack of formation. We are not spiritually formed at all. We are totally taking all of the world's messages and we're like, man, why isn't this working? And God is saying, I'm not, I'm not trying to shame or judge anybody. I'm trying to call you to the ultimate satisfaction and fulfillment. And, and I promise what we're gonna talk about with the time that we have left is absolutely gonna apply to everybody in every season of life. And so we have to talk about how we kind of typically have approached this idea of sexual wholeness and sexuality. And there's three ways that we can approach sexual formation or sexuality. And so I wanna talk about this because you're gonna probably see yourself in one of these. And, and, and one of these is, is kind of the ultimate picture. And so uh, uh, the, the, the three, three ways, of, three diets of, of spiritual formation, three diets of sexual formation. The first one is what we're going to call, whoops, the starvation diet. I don't know if you can, see, can you get in there really good. I don't know if you, even more. Like, you see what that is? That's a P. This is our approach to sex, sexuality, and sexual formation. I don't know. That might be a bit much. I probably better not. And here's the one, again, historically, this is the one that maybe not in the last half generation, but this is the one that has mostly made its way into church, the starvation diet. This is the one that's kind of been marked by religion historically. It is, it is marked, the starvation diet, and maybe not even in the church, but it's marked by repression and suppression. Make it go away, pretend it doesn't exist, separate spirituality from physical. I mean, if you look at some of the stuff in church history about trying to make desires go away, people did crazy things, like castrated themselves and hurt themselves for having God-giving longings. 
And so it's this starvation diet. It's, 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 it's nasty. And so what we do is the attempt here with the starvation diet is we just try to reject our longings. We try to suppress them. We try to ignore them. Like we pretend it doesn't exist. We don't talk about our passions. We don't talk about our desires. We don't talk about our humanity. And, we, and then we absolutely don't deal with any shame around it. And what do we do? We literally starve. Well, you know what the problem with the starvation diet is? You can only suppress and repress for so long. And then eventually you're going to act out because you can't go against the way you're wired right? A rose by any other name is still a rose. A human by any other approach is still a human. And you have those longings and desires. And so what happens? You act out and then we have a mess, right? That's why there's so many secrets in leadership. There's so many secrets in church. Repress, 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 suppress, suppress, starve, starve, starve. And then eventually just, it just comes out and people are breaking up families and losing leadership positions and being escorted out of pastoral positions and all of this crazy. You see it all the time, every day. And so we suppress and we repress and then we act out. And some of you probably were raised maybe in a family, a church, a generation where it's like, this is, this is the approach. I'm telling you, that, that, is, that is the separation. God's like, no, they're the same. That's the, star, the, the, the starvation diet, one of our approaches. The second diet would be on the other side. If, 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 if uh, it's the other side of the spectrum, if one is the starvation diet, the second one, and this is the most common approach in our culture, and I'm just gonna call it for what it is. Yeah. It's the fast food diet. It's the fast food diet, right? It's more than a pee, but what, what's unique about this? Nothing. It's... it's it's everywhere, it's cheap, it's convenient, it's available, it's not rare, it's not sacred, there's nothing special about it. I barely get by, it never satisfies. Are you with me? The starvation diet. If, the, if, if this, I'm sorry, the, the fast food diet, if the starvation diet is marked by repression and suppression, then the starvation diet is absolutely marked by reduction. We're reducing it just to an animalistic act that's a, a few seconds, that's whatever. There's no real deep connection. There's no real longing. There's no, it's not sacred. And it's like, it's, and, and, and ultimately, here's the problem with it. It starts with this idea that, that, that the world exists to serve you. Think about it. It's, I deserve to have my needs met. I deserve to have what I want, how I want it, when I feel, however much. And it's like, well, we'll just here and there. And I mean, look at these. Are, this is not even good. They're not even warm. Like, it's not, that's not, not, I don't even know if there's meat on this. Like, I don't even know if there's even meat on. Don't worry, I'm not going to eat it. Like, I, I literally, it's, don't do it. I, thank you, I won't. Because <laughs> my mom told me not to talk with my mouth full and I already have a fry in my mouth. My mom's sitting right there. But that's the problem with the starvation diet. My way, right away, however I want it, as much as I want it, whatever. And, and what does culture say? If it feels right, go for it. Do you want it? Do it. Yeah, let's celebrate it. There's no discernment at all. There's no boundaries. And we're just completely driven by our passions and longings. Do you know what types of people have no control over their passions and longings? Toddlers. I know because I live with one. It's crazy. <laughs> He's part human sometimes. Here's the problem with the fast food diet. The fast food sexual approach is just like fast food. It's not healthy. It'll never fully satisfy you. It gets old after a while. And over time, it makes you very, very unhealthy and makes a lot, a lot of problems that you never wanted to have to deal with. And this is what the world is doing. Have one, have one, have one, here, here, here. Starvation diet. But we celebrate it differently. And so, starvation diet and fast food diet, what are they trying to do? Split your spirit from your body. Repress it doesn't matter. They're separate. Neither work. Both attempt to do that. 
And so what we are invited is to something different. We're invited into this life, again, that connects them, that we reject the starvation diet, we reject the fast food diet, and it leads us to wholeness where we can have satisfaction, fulfillment, health, and connection. And it doesn't always have to be this weird, hyper-sexual, physical world that we live in. And so that leads us to God's intention, the best one, the better option, which is what God would have for us is not the starvation diet, it's not the fast food diet, but, but what God's uh, approach for us and what he wants us to have in this sexual wholeness and an approach is called the banquet. Yes. That, now we're talking. I mean, if, oh my, I mean, if you can cut with a butter knife, like, come on, some, look at that. That's what I'm... Just, just one bite, just one bite. It's okay, I'm married. I'm married, so... That's the banquet. Here's what you got to know about the banquet. It's a table for two. And it's the same two forever. Man and wife. That's how he made it. That's how it's written. That's how it works best. I know it's all complicated. I, I have so much empathy for people that are caught in a crazy spectrum. I have so much compassion. And so does Jesus. And so much healing. But this is how it's supposed to be. And so let's talk about the banquet for a minute. In fact, I didn't do this last time. I'm not going to eat anymore, I promise. But I just want you to, I just want this to be here while we talk about it. Because here's what I want to say, first of all. Here's the banquet. You got to know this. Sexual, sexuality is actually a part of God's good creation. There's not something wrong with you. There's not. Now, self-control is a fruit of the spirit, but there's not something wrong with you because you are a sexual being. It means you're human. It means you're not an angel. You're not an animal. See, the gospel offers this. And it satisfies and nourishes your soul. It satisfies your relationships. And you can have these longings and emotions. And, and it creates a connection like nothing else can. And so when we, when we the, the sexual desires that we have, when we possess them, when they're rightly ordered and they come into you, they bring actually us into fuller union with God and a better connection, both with the two of us at the banquet and actually everybody else outside of it simultaneously. It's bizarre and it's crazy. And I know what I'm saying, saying it's crazy. But here's what I'll tell you. When you give your life to Jesus, when you go all in, when you surrender your life and, and his love comes in and rearranges your life, he doesn't remove our desires, he reorders them. He's not taking it away. He's like, now let me show you how this works best. Because sexual wholeness requires the act of me discerning who I do and don't give my body to. And so here's, here's why I love the banquet. Because God created sex. Brilliant idea. Um, one of my favorite ideas he had. Um, but here's what you have to know. Sex is sacred. See, nobody talks this way anymore. But it's sacred. It's meant to only be shared with two people. And it's meant to go, no one else gets to experience this. They don't, they don't get the dinner. They don't get the turkey. They don't, this is just you and I. And we're, we're going to share and experience things no one else ever will. And we're going to keep everybody else out. We're going to do really cool things with other people. But this is for us. And this only comes after, and this is a physical expression, after I've already made my vows and my covenant to you before God and before everybody else. And it started in Genesis chapter 2. This is God's design. Because here's, here's the problem is God intended it to be sacred, but our culture, again, they act like it's just flipping. It's no big deal. Like, let's just throw it around, whatever. But sexual intimacy is a fire. It is a powerful force that bonds people together like nothing else ever will. And if you've, if you've been in that situation with other people, you have a connection that is unlike any other connection you have to other people. But the more you have that, the less sacred it becomes. So God knew how sacred, knew how powerful it would be, so he had to create a context strong enough and powerful enough to preserve it and appreciate it and help it actually enhance every other relationship as well. And what is that context? Marriage. 
Marriage is what makes sex sacred. It's, it's the only context that can handle it. And I know it sounds crazy because I know the time we live in. I know it. But sexual intimacy is the act that gives expression to the vows that we've made. It's saying what our bodies, with our bodies, what we already promised with our words. And we're saying we will do things and we will enjoy things together that no one else will ever be able to do or enjoy with us. And we're going to keep everybody else. This is a dinner for two for the rest of our lives. In person and virtually. And so sexual intimacy is an expression of a covenant, and any, which is why when it goes outside of a covenant, it's starting to cheapen, and it starts to feel less like a banquet and more like fast food. And again, there's no shame. This is not meant to guilt anybody, shame anybody. I'm just telling you the original blueprint, the design. And so we're going to close here in a few minutes, and we're going to wrestle with some of this. But, but there's something that's not in the book. I, I've, I've dealt with teenagers and young adults for 20-plus years, and there's something that's near and dear to my heart, and it's a big soapbox of mine. But I also would like to to just, just say a word on singleness. I hate how the church treats singleness. Maybe not Cape Christian, but, but the church and religion. We act like singleness is a disease. Like there's something wrong with you. Singleness is a beautiful gift. Singleness, there's not something wrong with you if you're single. In fact, here's what's crazy about this. You can actually enhance your sexuality and your sexual wholeness while remaining single. Did you know the longer you're single, you learn how to connect with deeply other people in a way that's not violating the banquet, and you can have deep bonds, which makes the banquet better and everybody outside of the banquet also better. You can actually do that. You're still keeping sex sacred for where and when it believes, b- belongs, but when it comes, but you're not limiting your ability to connect with others. You're learning how to connect in a deep way that's not some cheap fast food diet, and you're not being some weirdo who's on some starvation diet. Like, you can, you can continue to... Be expose yourself in a way that doesn't violate this. And so singles, singleness is not a disease. And some of you, God uses our singleness to help us to create these bonds. And the better we do singleness, the more we preserve the banquet when somebody comes to the table. Are you with me? And I'm just going to say this, and I don't care if I step on your toes. We got to stop. Like, oh, we got to get you with somebody. We got to get you with somebody. No, not if they're broken, because broken singles make broken couples. Whole healed singles make whole healed couples. And so for those of you who are single, let me just affirm you for a minute. There's not something wrong with you if you're single. There's something wrong with you if you always have to have somebody. You don't, need, you, you don't have a hole in your heart that only a human can fill. You have a hole in your heart that only God can fill. And when he does, you don't need somebody to complete you. He completes you, and they just add to the banquet. And here's the thing about the banquet. You're like, well, yeah, but what about, listen, this best part about the banquet is like, it's just the two of us. So you have 80 years to figure out how you like to best eat your chicken. <laughs> if you get my drift. Maybe we'll try it upside down. I don't, like, whatever. (laughs) Hey, hey, it's your banquet. And as long as everybody else is out and you guys are on the same page, Nike. (laughs) But I didn't come here to tell you that. Here's... The most important part of this, the gospel, the way of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus actually offers us great news to any of us who are carrying shame from our past, whether you were sinned against and violated or you sinned and you have done things in your own because the mystery of the cross, what Jesus did on the cross is, is this eerily similar reversal of what happened in the garden. See, what happened on the cross is Jesus took all of our sins, all of our shame, all of our mistake, and he placed it on. It says, if, if you read the Bible, it says he became sin. What? Why? 
so that we could experience the health and the wholeness and the fulfillment of what it means to be perfect because we'll never be perfect. But it requires us to follow him and not ourselves. He actually took shame and he conquered it. Check this. What happened on the cross is the opposite of what happened on the garden. See, Adam sins and he runs and hides behind a tree naked, avoiding God, right? And he was conquered by what? Shame. Yet what does Jesus do? He hangs on a tree naked and he conquers shame. It's the complete opposite. Adam hides. He reverses what happens in the garden. Sin came through Adam. Righteousness and freedom and and justice and holiness came through Jesus on the cross. Righteousness came through Jesus. Sin messed all of it up. And because of Adam, we're here we are. Well, guess what? Because of Jesus, we get to be whole again. It's amazing. Guilt came through Adam and Eve. But holiness and love and a fresh start came through Jesus on the cross. Everything that was done in the garden was undone on the cross. But it requires us to do what they did do in the garden. Go, I'm going to trust that your way is best. I'm not going to go, I think I know a better way. I know a more fun way. I don't think you know me, God. I know how to satisfy myself. And he says, hey, don't starve yourself, please. And don't you dare do the fast food diet. Because if you do these two things, it's going to be hard to enjoy the banquet for different reasons. It's, 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 it's almost been sad to me at times in my ministry how many times I've had to counsel married couples. Be like, y'all need to like banquet. Because they were, t- they were just, they're so taught, t- this is such a dirty thing. No, you are created this way by God on purpose. So you need to know this. No matter what your spiritual journey and how much secrets or darkness there's been, no matter your sexual journey, no matter how much darkness, shame, regret, First of all, you need to know they're both deeply integrated. You can't separate them. They both long to connect with things and people outside of ourselves. And we serve and love a good God. And he wants to take that. And he wants to make you whole and makes you new again today. So no matter where you're at, no matter what your story is, no matter what you're carrying today, you are forgiven. You are made holy. And you can be empowered to live with sexual wholeness, even if today is the first day you've ever experienced it. That's how powerful what Jesus did on the cross was. And so here's what I know. This weekend, last week, we've thrown some haymakers. This is deep stuff. We have to talk about it though. And so last week I gave us a couple seconds to sit. And by the way, hopefully it was really telling how starving our souls are to let some things out because you had like 30 seconds and we couldn't keep it in. I know that this is probably even a heavier topic for some of us. And so what I've asked is the worship team to come and just sing a song. And this is not stand and sing. We just want to create space for you. Make room. If, I want, if you need to, to pray, if you need to confess some things, if you need to ask God for forgiveness, if you need to surrender your life to Jesus and go, gosh, I've been doing it my own way. I want the banquet. And I, I'll tell you what will happen if you, if you deal with God in this moment. He's going to like remove shame. He's going to make you new again. He's going to heal you. He's going to start this beautiful process. And, and as I said before, this is not meant to be an experience where it's like, oh, go out and worth our week. Hopefully this is a catalyst for your time with God this week. And so they're going to sing a song. We're going to take a few minutes. And I just want you to just be able to sit and respond in your own heart, your own spirit. If you need to slide a chair, this is the only service you have the ability to slide away from somebody. Do that. If you need to turn around and make an altar of your chair, if you just need to sit quietly and wrestle with some things in your heart or mind, we just want to create space and not be in a hurry to go. I'm going to come back and close in a few minutes, but I want to give you space to deal with whatever this might have stirred up. It's your Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit, your Heavenly Father going, I'll carry that. I'll deal with that. I'll redeem that. I'll renew that if you start to trust me with it. So space for you and Jesus. Yes, Jesus, speak to our hearts. 
God, with you anything is possible. So if you're asking us to change or to lay something down, we can do all things with Christ who is our strength. We thank you for that, Jesus.
just felt with a, a topic like this, first of all, it was only appropriate to kind of sit and have some space to, to talk to God, but also that this song is the appropriate reminder and something that can have a lot of weight and shame that you're still dearly loved. I said last week, there's nothing you can do to make him love you less. And so the saddest part of the story is when sin came, they ran and hid. If you read a few verses later in verse 12, God goes looking for him. And if you wanna know what the posture of God is, if you're wallowing in shame, it's the same thing he did to Adam and Eve in the garden. Hey, where are you? Where are you? Come back, come back. Only I can fix this. And actually the Bible says that he was the one that made coverings for them. He covered their shame. And so some of you, I believe that the best decision you could make is you need to give this area of your life to God, fully trust him. God, I'm not gonna do it the world's way. I'm not gonna do it. I want what you have for me. And if that's you, we're just gonna pray. Some of you, you don't just need to give this area of your life to God. You need to give your whole life to God. Jesus came and lived a perfect life, died a terrible, brutal death, and he offers his life in exchange for yours. If you will surrender your life to him and trust his words and his ways and stop living a, a, a life the way a broken world says you should live. We call it salvation. And, and if you need to make that decision, I'm gonna pray and you can make that decision in your heart. It's the best decision you'll ever make. And we've made it so easy for us to follow up with you and connect with you. And so if you need to make that decision, not I need to give this area, but I need to give my life to God. We just ask that on your way out. You text the word KPS to 94,000 and we're, you're gonna get a video from me. We're gonna help you connect and, and experience the fullness that God has for you. But I just wanna close in prayer. And, and, and you know what's in your heart. You know what's in your life. This is a deeply personal uh, uh, topic and issue. And so I'm just gonna pray that we would give our lives and we would give this area to God and that we would allow him to do his redemptive healing work where we can experience whole, satisfied, fulfilling relationships with one another. We can protect the banquet and we can be fully unified with God. Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you didn't leave anything out when you created this and when you gave us your word to teach us how to live. God, I know there's many of us that we need to say, God, I need to give you this area of my life. And so if that's you right now, you're online or you're in person, just in your heart, in your mind, say, God, I give you the area of sexuality. I give this. I want sexual wholeness. I want this. I need this. No more starvation. No more fast food. And then, God, I believe there's some of us here that we need, not only need to give this area of our life to you, we need to give every area of our life to you. We need to give our whole life to you. And if that's you, in, in your heart, in your mind, just say, Jesus, come into my life. I give my life to you. And so, God, we want our lives to count. We want our lives to be fulfilled according to the way that you designed us, our original DNA, not something we've come up with. And so, God, I pray that this would be the beginning of a, a journey of sexual wholeness for some of us. For others of us, it would be the beginning of a journey of a life and a relationship with you. God, I thank you that in you, in Christ, there is no condemnation. There is no shame. You conquered shame. You conquered darkness. You conquered evil. And so, God, we want your redemption. We want your healing. We want your wholeness. Holy Spirit, go to work in our lives in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone agreed, said, amen. Hey, listen, as always, if you have anything going on in your life, maybe it's attached to this, maybe it's something different that you just like to talk with somebody, you need some counseling or prayer. We have a ministry team right there in our prayer room. Also, there's one online, a prayer team online. We'd love to minister with you. Otherwise, we got one more week of, 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 of this series. We got one more week of, of 21 days of prayer. Let's go finish strong, and we'll see you guys next week for the finale.